Live from the WLI-WFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday morning, September 21st, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Tourism spending on Long Island hit a new high watermark in 2022, outpacing pre-pandemic spending records and prompting industry groups to say local tourism is back on track. Victor Ocasio reporting on Newsday.com that visitors to Long Island spent a record $6.6 billion last year, up 14.4% from 2021, according to a state report conducted by Tourism Economics, a travel analytics and economic impact forecaster owned by Oxford Economics, an advisory firm. It was the first time direct visitor spendings topped the pre-pandemic record of $6.3 billion in 2019. The majority of tourism spending was concentrated in Suffolk County. 56% purchases at Long Island restaurants and bars accounted for $2.4 billion, or 36% of overall visitor spending. Spending at hotels made up 19%, and purchases at retail businesses made up 17%. One of the biggest factors where the higher rate of spending has been the impact of inflation and the rising cost of goods and hotel stays. That's uh, according to Kristen Reynolds, president and chief executive of Discover Long Island, the region's tourism and hospitality marketing organization. For example, while hotel occupancy was up, what was really driving spending was the higher room rates visitors paid. Reynolds said visitor spending on Long Island generated $464 million in local taxes last year as a result of sales, property, and hotel taxes, according to the report. Long Island's beaches and vineyards continue to be a major draw for visitors, and with a majority of waterfront hotels being located on the East End, Suffolk County was a major beneficiary of seasonal summertime spendings. Uh, The beaches are key, Reynolds said. Additionally, we have become a very popular Fall destination for harvest season, so the vineyards are also a huge draw. Hotel occupancy and spending levels this year indicate Long Island likely will see a banner year in 2023. However, employment in tourism has yet to rebound into 2019 levels, a continuing challenge for business owners, particularly customer-facing businesses like restaurants and hotels that can't find enough workers. While staffing wasn't a major issue for summer season attractions like Splish Splash in Calverton this year, the 96-acre water park has had to change recruitment strategies to fill its more than 800 seasonable uh, openings, according to marketing director Danielle Trombetta, who said we started our hiring efforts earlier in the season and were more strategic with our recruitment program. In other news, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security cleared the way for more Venezuelan migrants to get work permits last night by expanding temporary protected status to refugee seekers who fled the country for the U.S. Carl Campanile and Ali Griffin reporting in the New York Post that an 18-month extension to the program, as well as the new inclusion of more recent border crossers, was announced by Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas after New York officials pleaded with President Biden for help addressing the migrant crisis in New York City. Governor Kathy Hochul spoke to the president about the crisis and pointed to work authorization as a potential solution Tuesday night while... Biden visited the Big Apple this week. Quote, after my productive conversation with President Biden Tuesday night, I'm grateful the federal government has acted so speedily to grant one of our top priorities, providing temporary protected status to Venezuelan asylum seekers and migrants who have already arrived in this country, Governor Hochul said in a statement yesterday, adding there's more work to do as we address this crisis, but the state of New New York is prepared to immediately begin the process of signing people up for work authorization and getting them into jobs so they can become self-sufficient. And finally, right here on Hill Street, an article published in the New York Post this week confirmed... An open rumor, as uh, the Southampton Press or 27 East says, that billionaire developer A.B. Rosen is behind Hill Street Cinema LLC, which purchased the Southampton Movie Theater right next to WLIWFM on Hill Street in the village for $8 million back in November 2022. 
91-year-old theater, which was reconstructed as a multiplex in the 90s and closed since the start of the pandemic, had been on the market for years with an asking price of $8.9 million back in early 2021. Recently, scaffolding was put up around the facade of the colonial-style movie house, which was built in 1932 and received landmark status from the Village Board of Architectural Review and Historic Preservation in January of this year. Kaylin Riley reporting on 27East.com that workers were seen making improvements to the building through the past weeks. And builder and developer Jay Bialski confirmed in a phone call with the press last week that his company had been hired to do interior renovations and that the space would remain a movie theater. He did not comment further on future plans for the cinema, the recent establishment of an arts and culture overlay district in Southampton Village will dictate from a zoning perspective what the theater can become. Village officials last week said they were unaware of what is planned. Rosen, who owns a home here in the village, has made a name for himself buying and renovating iconic buildings in Manhattan and beyond. In Tuesday's New York Post article, they cite a press release dated August 17th of last year on the theater's website, which says there are plans to reopen the historic structure as a theater for movies and cultural events. A Hill Street Cinema spokesperson states on their site, quote, the purchase was motivated by our fervent desire to preserve this essential component of Southampton Village's culture, as well as reactivating the building's distinctive architecture, which has anchored the community's center for many years, end quote. Reading the weather in Mount Sinai in honor of P.J. McIlvain, joining us to talk about her Montauk thriller, Good Man, at the bottom of this hour for the Thoughtful Thursday segment. Looking like a sunny Thursday with a high near 71 degrees, north wind 6 to 10 miles per hour tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 56 degrees, east wind around 6 miles per hour. Right now it's 59 degrees and we've got the free life edition prepared for you this morning in honor of Dan Koontz talking about the Free Life Rock Opera coming to uh, LTV Studios. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Inda Eaton, the Peppermint Trolley Company, and Lana Del Rey on deck before Nick Drake. And the Kinks, you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End. On Long Island's only NPR radio station. I woke up in the desert, I woke up in the plains, I woke up in the valley of the shadow of death. But I fear no evil For thou art not with me And I am free Cause I'm free to roam And I'm free to go To spread my wings To be free Complacent in Tucson where I met you by plane Was a whirlwind, was a daydream Sometimes everything ends up in pain But thou art not with me And I am free Cause I'm free to roll And I'm free to go
I woke up in the plains I woke up in the valley of the shadow of death But I fear no evil When thou art not with me And I am free Cause I'm free Stay tuned for PJ McElvain after Miss Lana Del Rey. 
Get free from the lust for life record of 2017. You're listening to WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love. Finally, I'm crossing the threshold from the ordinary world to the dead out of the sea and the darkness from the arts this is my commitment my modern manifesto Love ourselves some Lana Del Rey. Nick Drake, Kinks, Sia, and Beatles fans. Not to mention Ween, Gene Casey, and Neil Young. 
Jeez, this is like an all-star playlist because we got Queen, Iron and Wine, and our very own Morgan Saint, Bob Dylan, Bill Scorzeri, The Who. Dang. All in your immediate listening future. Well, maybe not so immediate. We do have the Thoughtful Thursday segment. Since it is the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, a little after midnight, if you're listening to the replay, very excited to welcome on for the first time uh, P.J. McElvain, uh, the author of A Good Man, which I could not put down, P.J., yesterday. I went. Oh, thank you so much. I went straight through it. I will say it wasn't so much a whodunit for me as a he-done-it. There wasn't yes. a heck of a lot of suspense about who the bad man is, but that doesn't make it any less suspenseful nor easy to put down. Uh, like I said, I, I read it straight through. It's a, Mont- a true Montauk killer thriller, complete with the Montauk monster, and I love that bit. So thank you for putting a bit of Camp Hero in for us nerds, PJ. Well, you know, I'm a Long Island girl. I was born and bred here, yeah. and it's a compilation of basically uh, past, presence and fiction, nonfiction, everything. I put everything into this book. And and it shows. It shows. It shines. It, now, I I didn't know so much the history. Like, for example, you, you talk about uh, the Silver Dollar Diner. Can you talk about, uh, you know, is, is, there be, is there truth there? Was there a Silver Dollar Diner? Was it before my time? There was no, as far as I know, there was not okay. a Silver Dollar Diner there. But when I was growing up in Lake Ronkonkoma, there was a diner we used to go to every week. And I incorporated that, and I just shifted that to Montauk. It was so, you could tell that there was so much truth be, and you know behind the fiction, and that it was just such a beautiful mesh. You could tell that a lot of the the parts that were fictional were inspired by by something that was true in the world or or in your life. That is correct because I, I come from a dysfunctional family. We didn't have murder, but we did have a lot of drama. And my brother was a drug addict who committed suicide. Oh, I'm so sorry. So in this, thank you. But in this book, I tried to give him an ending, a better ending than he had in life. Oh, that's beautiful. So I beautiful. incorporated a lot of stuff in it into this so book. So you're saying that there's a lot of your brother in Brooks Anderson, oh, yes, the protagonist. Yes, so yes, that's yes. Like... it's really a journey. It was a real journey for me with this book, and I didn't realize while I was writing it. It was only later I realized how much of Brooks was really my brother. This is like you know. So that's like almost. This has been therapy in some ways. In some ways, it was. I, I didn't realize how much I had buried. But, you know, the book is also inspired because we did spend a magical summer in Southampton when oh. I was about 13. Yeah, 1969, 70. Yeah. So I used to, you know, we it was behind a huge estate in Southampton. And I used to sit under the stars. And I used to, you know, wonder about the big house and who lived there and what drama was playing out there. So that was another thing that just came out later. And and there is a nice little scene, I think, with the grandfather when they go to Southampton. Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, we used to we used to go to Southampton. We used to you know day trip and walk along the streets. Oh yeah, but it was very different back then. It you know my mother rented that house, that little cottage. Fifty, you know, it was like uh, five hundred dollars for the summer. It's crazy. She split it with two of her girlfriends in New York. How can you do that now? No, you, you know? couldn't. You couldn't. And it yeah. was it, was it Grandpa William? Is that was that his name? What was the grandpa? I believe so. Yes, yes. Grandpa. Oh my God, he was my yeah. favorite. I adore Aww. him. Uh, yeah, and you know, and but everybody, everybody has a story. That's one thing that was really very important for me in this book. That even the secondary characters also had their own story. Oh my gosh! And what stories everyone has. There is no person in this book that does not have like like serious complex trauma going on down to the that, the lawyer is, yeah isn't that the same way in real life it's true you know and we're, we're not so cardboard true. characters no yeah. and that, it's w- one of the most beautiful things where it's you don't know what someone's going through so you know even the the person who is rude to you at a restaurant th- there's something behind that and a lot of times yeah. Uh, we don't know. We put on a we yeah. put on a facade. It's so like true. Brooks, he puts yes. on a facade, and he's this bad boy. 
But really, at the end of the day, he's just a scared little boy who's trying to bury the trauma of his past. But, you know, you can't run away forever. No, no. And eventually, well, not all of us, but to his credit, he really does turn around and face it. He tries. You know, I had one of my friends who read the book said to me, PJ, I really did want to like this guy. He can be a real fill in the blank. But he goes, you won me over because right. I got so emotionally invested in his story. I couldn't put it down he, like you. Yeah, he, I really liked Brooks, but he definitely has work to do as far yep. as um, how he uh, responding rather than reacting. That's where, where yeah. Brooks needs to, to do the work. <laughs> Let, let's talk yep. about the George Bernard Shaw, Shaw quote. From the opening, which I've heard, which I've heard before, but described with wolves, not uh, dogs, I think. It's one of my favorite stories that speaks to the core of humanity and personal struggle. It's about uh, an indigenous, I think it's a, a grandfather talking to his grandson, I think, at the first time I, I had heard it. but it's I a, think there were various, my husband says the same thing, there were various incantations yes. of that quote. But that one has always resonated with me. Basically, what I wanted to explore in this book, like Succession, good versus evil, and that we have the capacity to be both at the same time. Mm. And that it's, 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 you know, people try to, uh, in some ways, it's, it's, it's a bit borderline or black and white thinking that there's all good and all evil. It resides, both reside within yes. all of us, but our personhood, the core of us, depends on which we continually choose. It's basically, I look at it almost like a coin. There are two sides to a coin, yeah. the heads and the tails, uh, but which one do we focus on more? Which right. one, the baser side of us, basically? The and that is of a our struggle. Spirit. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the human struggle. And you can't have the one without the other. So I got to ask about, you know, you mentioned the, the and that's true. And, and I hope folks uh, will uh, remember that because, you know, even for me, I give myself such a hard time for, for my own failings and whatever. Perfe oh, please. We all do. We all perfectionism, do. I do well. Perfectionism yeah. is, a, is a beast and it's, it really boils down to, it's a control thing. When, we, mm. when you really think about it, uh, but anyway, yep. back, enough about me. Uh, let's. I want to talk more about you and your childhood, because you talked about the magical summer in um, Southampton, but you get a lot of good Montauk flavor in there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about writing that? How you, uh, you know, what upon what you drew inspiration, what research you might have done, time spent. Uh, tell me everything. Oh, well, well, basically, when I was a child, we used to go out to Montauk very frequently. Uh, we also spent some time in Shelter Island. We used to go out east. So I, I spent a lot of time there. So uh, I was always fascinated by Montauk, the potato fields, because when we used to drive out to Montauk, it was basically a sleepy little town. Right. You had the potato fields, you had the farm stands, and now it, it's a totally different environment. Right. But I really wanted to explore that and everything that I found fascinating when I was a child reading. So it's a montage of everything that I love. And yes, it did involve research. I mean, with Camp Hero, and it stirred a lot of memories too—good memories and bad memories. Right. And now, and and where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Lake Moncongoma. Oh, okay, right. You mentioned that. So, so I gotta. I would love to hear a little bit more about your brother, if you don't, if you don't mind talking sure. about him. Well, uh, well, as it turned out, my grand, my parents divorced when we were very young, but we did not find out until we were teenagers. Oh. We were told my brother and my father had moved to France on business. My mother went to New York to live the single life, and we were raised by my grandparents in uh, Lake Moncongoma. So, uh, unfortunately for my brother, that was a trauma that he really not never got over his feelings of abandonment mm. by my father. And although we tried many times to, you know, do a, what we call in French, a rapprochement, we tried to reunite or tried to gloss things over. But it, it, for my brother, he just could never get over it. It was too deep. And one day it just bubbled over. I, I think my brother just got caught in a moment. Mm. He went, he ordered takeout pizza, went into the bathroom, and he shot himself in the head. <gasps> oh, my God. 
I mean, it was, I mean that that time period is very traumatic for me, and my mother never recovered from it. So, you know, years later, uh, I took care of my mother in her final battle with Alzheimer's. And at that point, I said, PJ, if you're going to write any books, this is the time you have to write. And it took me a few years, and I didn't know I had this book in me, but it finally came out. Oh, I love this book, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. And and how old was your brother? And, and his name, if you don't mind. His name is Michael Peter Janot, and I dedicate the book to him. Oh, my gosh. My, my little prince. My how little old, prince. And how old was he when he, when he, he left us? Oh, he was, I'm going to say, a, a turning 50. Okay. And, and, yeah, which, again, he was not looking forward to getting old. So, and, and how old were you guys when the divorce happened? You, uh, oh, when the divorce happened, we must have been about maybe six, and we didn't find out until we were like 11, 12. Okay, and so he's uh, just a year older than you? Younger? My brother is older than me by two okay. years. By two years, okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so, well, you know, what a beautiful thing you did to, to bring him back and uh, to be with us. And stay with us in this way. But it, it was very difficult because when I wrote the book, I really didn't think anybody would ever read it. I gave myself permission to fail. I told myself, PJ, write as if no one is ever going to read it. And here we are. I guess, you know what, I think about myself and, and you know, it's been my lifelong, oh, I'll write a book, I'll write a book. I, I think that's what I'm going to need to do before it actually comes out. Well, everybody, you know, there is a saying, everybody has a book in them. Mm, I believe it. And and Brooks, Brooks' first book was uh, not great. And you, and you see how, how his career uh, yeah. turned out. Yeah. So and I, he incorporated a lot of his trauma into his writing as well. Now, now, yeah, and obviously we see you, especially, you know, your the other parts of your writerly spirit are uh, definitely incorporated not only through Brooks, but uh, Cassie, right? Uh, right. And his That's and true. Brooks' mother. Yep. So I know that there's a, a whodunit festival that happens in East Hampton. Uh, you, you know, will we be able to maybe see you there or, or somewhere else? What's going on as far as the release of the book? It, it, when did it drop? It dropped August 18th. Okay. And so how has it been? How has it been in the... Well, uh, basically, basically on Amazon, it was a bestseller. It was a top 10, That's right. top 100. Not so basically, and, and, it's, and it's a British publisher. Uh, every agent in town in America here turned the book down. Fools. So, yep. They said it was too bloody. I killed too many people. Oh, the I character was too unlikable. <laughs> and so I finally found this British publisher who said, PJ, we think your book is brilliant. We want to publish it. I love it. So I basically had to do the lion's share of marketing on my own. We had a author event at the Red Jacket Books in West Hampton Beach. Very nice. I've I've had a couple of essays published here and there on the web. I'm doing a podcast uh, next week. Oh, and oh, later what, next tell week. Tell us about the podcast. Where can we? What yeah, is it called? Yeah, the podcast is basically with a Seattle podcaster out in Seattle. Okay. She heard about the book and she wants to interview me know, about it. Do you know the name of the podcast? Vicki St. Clair. Okay, cool. Conversations with Vicki St. Clair, and I think that's happening. It's going to be taped the week of August, the f October the 1st. Okay. I don't know when it's going to appear, but it, that's the week we're going to be taping it. And where can we – do you have a website that we can keep? I do with? have a website. Yay. Yep. It's pjmacrider.com. I see it. And I have links to the books and links to my other books that are coming out as well. Oh, what? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Yep. In a few days, I'm going to be having my debut young adult adventure come out, which oh, is called cool. The Curious Conundrum of Charlemagne Cross. I imagine less people die. <laughs> in this one, less people die. It's a, it's a <laughs> mystery adventure set in the Victorian London. Oh, cool. I love it. PJ, it's been an honor, a pleasure. We're already excited to have you back on with us to talk about your new books. Again, PJ Mack. Uh, pjmacwriter.com uh, or you can search online and find more uh, and find the book, A Good Man. I'm Gianna Volpe. This was the Thoughtful Thursday segment. Uh, that was PJ McElvain. This is Nick Drake. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. 
Oh, thank you. You were great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what ended up happening was that after a year of putting me through the rope, the, the ringer, basically 20th Century Fox, they followed up right before the evil trial. They dismissed the lawsuit. They withdrew it. Basically, it was about script trading. Thank you to PJ, setting me free. 
I don't always leave the mic open when I, but when I do, it's incredibly interesting. There was a very happy ending to the tale. How about some Sia? This is Bird Set Free. I love this song. It's from the uh, This Is Acting record of 2015. We'll hop back. Let's see, two decades after this. Clever twins, I was a broken thing. Had a voice, had a voice, but I could not sing. You'd want me down. I struggled on the ground. Oh, so lost a line. Have been crossed. Had a voice, had a voice, but I could not talk. You held me down. I struggled to fly now. Oh, but there's a Oh, it is such a lie. Oh, it's just a swimming. 
my friends, lead you into the NPR news break. Stay with us. This is Roses Are Free from the 1994 record Chocolate and Cheese. Baby, so tinsel, 